Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. And I'm Carol Kellerman from Citizens Budget Commission. Thanks for joining us here today. Make sure, if you're a regular listener, that you tell your friends, family, and colleagues about What's the Data Point. You can find us on all your podcast platforms. And today, we have a two-part show with segments on two new Citizens Budget Commission reports, both very interesting, so stay tuned for parts one and two, and for our two data points for today. Carol? Our data points today are 348 and 74. Let's start with 348. That is the number of local development corporations and industrial development agencies in New York State. These corporations, created by local governments, are intended to help spur economic development. They made a total of more than $16 billion in investments between 2011 and 2015, yet only five of the state's 62 counties have had job growth higher than the national average in that time period. What are these entities doing, and why are there so many? We'll discuss that today with Riley Edwards, the principal author of CBC's recent report just out this past Monday called Opaque and Duplicative, Local Economic Development in New York State. Then our second data point is 74, which is the number of business improvement districts, or BIDs, in New York City. Our report on this topic, BIDs, Oversight, Organization, and Transparency, is out just this morning, and it describes the history and nature of these organizations. They're given the power to levy fees on property owners in special districts to be used for services that supplement what the city provides to help foster a clean and attractive commercial environment. Are bids cost effective? And how does the city make sure the property owners are getting their money's worth? Here to discuss this report is CBC's Director of Research, Tim Sullivan. Very good. See, this is why I love working with Citizens Budget Commission. You get these reports on things like local development corporations and business improvement districts that people need to be paying attention uh, to and need to be held accountable, and somebody absolutely has to do it. Um, And so you have done it, and we're going to discuss those here today. So for the first part of our show, we are here with Riley Edwards, as Carol said, to discuss these IDAs and LDCs and other alphabet soup, and make sure you stay tuned for the second half of the show with Tim Sullivan on bids. Hi, Riley. Hi, Ben. Uh, So our data point for this portion of the segment, as Carol said, is 348, the number of IDAs and LDCs in New York State. So... (laughs) What are these entities? What are IDAs? What are LDCs? How are they different? Uh, I can't believe the number of these that exist across the state, but, but what are they? Yeah, so there's two different kinds here. IDAs are industrial development agencies, and they're public benefit corporations. They're created in state law, but they're created at the request of a local government. And they can buy and sell property. They can borrow money. They can also issue conduit debt, which is debt that's in the name of the IDA, but it's issued for the benefit of a recipient, like a for-profit company or a local business. And the obligation of repaying that debt belongs to the business, not the IDA itself. So those are some of the things that IDAs can do. Another important thing that they can do that LDCs can't is that they can pass along property tax exemptions to businesses that occupy property owned by an IDA. So property that the IDA owns is tax exempt, and if there's a business on it, instead of paying property taxes, that business pays pilots or payments in lieu of taxes to the taxing jurisdictions that are affected. My head's already spinning here. I mean, and that's part of the problem with these, right? These are 
uh, entities that the average person doesn't necessarily always understand. Right. They can be pretty obscure. Not that I'm calling myself the average person, but yeah, I'm just saying in general. But anyway, <laughs> so so the IDAs, um, just just to pause for one sec before yeah. we get to LDCs, they who 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 is them? Like, you know, who who runs them? How do they are they are they set up? Are they a board? Are they just Yeah, they're run by a board. It's usually appointed by the local government that requests to create the IDA. And sometimes it's people who are elected or appointed officials in the government who are also on the board. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. LDCs. So LDCs are similar to IDAs in a lot of ways. Technically they're private not-for-profits, and instead of being created in state law, they can be incorporated by anybody. We're focusing on the ones though that are affiliated with local governments. So like IDAs, they can buy and sell property, they can issue conduit debt, they can borrow money. They can't issue tax exemptions the way that IDAs can, but there are a few things that LDCs can do that IDAs can't, which is sort of why we have both of these different kinds of entities. LDCs can give grants, they can give loans, and they can also issue conduit debt to nonprofit projects. IDAs used to be able to do that, but in 2008, the provision of the law that allowed IDAs to issue that debt expired, and so now IDA debt can only go to for-profit projects. So IDA is sort of for-profit, LDC is not-for-profit, they have some different rules, but in general, to broadly sort of sum up the mission, what are they for? They're all focused on economic development. They're focused on bringing businesses to the town or the county and to supporting the ones that are there, creating jobs. And I see um, that in in 2015, they spent $1.1 billion? Yes. A lot of that's in New York City. The uh, New York City Economic Development Corporation is an LDC, but it's a lot bigger. It does a lot more than LDCs in the rest of the state. So that takes up a big portion of that spending. Um, the New York City IDA is also a lot larger than other IDAs in the rest of the state. But that, uh, that spending amount includes their administrative costs, what they make in grants and, 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 and from their own money, and then how much do they give away in these tax exemptions that you, you indicated that So you in to do. 2015, IDAs gave out $676 million in tax breaks, which that can have a big impact on local budgets. Is that mostly from New York City as well, or is that... Most of that is from the rest of the state. Right. So that's a lot of tax revenue that localities have made the decision they're going to give up to spend this way to generate improved economic activity in their location. Why are there so many? So part of it is because they can be created by local government at any level, and all of these local governments want to help their residents by creating jobs and supporting businesses. So you end up with so many of these things. The 348 includes 107 IDAs and 241 LDCs. So you've got a lot of separate entities at the county level, towns and villages. They sometimes overlap. Um, For example, in Albany, in the capital region, there's 21 IDAs and 27 LDCs. In Albany itself, there's an Albany County IDA, there's an Albany City IDA, and there's a couple of different um, LDCs at the city level, too. Um, Overall, there's 62 counties in New York State, and six of those counties have more than 10 IDAs and LDCs combined. That sounds um, like a lot. Uh, Do you have a... um, Before we get into their effectiveness, uh, and we obviously want to... That's the key here, right, is are they creating jobs? Do they have a real reason to exist, and are they... Are they moving the economy forward and creating the jobs that they are incorporated to create? But just on this sheer number, 
um, why is it? Why are there so many, even within a smaller geographic area, within a county, within a city area? Um, New York City seems to have a limited number, but but they're big. But at least that sounds like it would be more efficient. Why are there so many, and is that is that good practice? We don't think it's great. We we would like to see more cooperation between them. There is some informal cooperation between ones that are in the same area. But a lot of them have sprung up sort of separately and they're focused on one town or one village when really the economy works at more of a regional scale. People commute between towns or villages and counties and having all of these different entities competing against each other sometimes for the same businesses can have a harmful effect. Maybe a business could come in and try to get the highest tax exemptions that it can and really take more from the local area than it's giving back because you're pitting these entities against each other. Interesting. And that was the reason that the governor created the Regional Economic Development Councils, right? Was to have a coordinating body for an entire region instead of having all kinds of duplicative state programs in the economic development area. Right, yeah. And because the regions are different, so it, it makes sense to have something below the state level. But if you coordinate between different counties, say in western New York, you can work together towards the same strategy instead of sort of working at cross purposes of having different priorities and goals. So we've thrown another uh, acronym now into the mix, which is the REDCs. The Sorry. Re- no, 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 that's good. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is such a key part of this conversation is sort of the um, shadow government bureaucracy that has been created here on the economic development front. It's fascinating. And as you said, Riley, a lot of the folks that wind up on the boards of these organizations or running the REDCs are people who are already involved in other levels of government. Some perhaps have business in the areas that they're working in. There's there's lots of uh, issues and questions and competing interests here at times. So let's get to the real crux of the matter. Uh, how are they doing? Are the, are the IDAs and LDCs creating jobs? So that is the most important question, but it's really difficult to answer because the information just really isn't there. Uh, LDCs and IDAs are required to submit a bunch of different annual reports. So they're overseen by the Authority's Budget Office, or the ABO, which was created in 2009, And they have to submit several different annual reports to the ABO, and those include information on jobs. The problem is that the information in those reports isn't always accurate or reliable. We found a number of specific issues. We talk about those more in detail in the report. And on top of information that's inaccurate, a lot of the entities fail to submit their reports. Some of them miss a reporting deadline or two, but some of them repeatedly fail to submit the information. So there's just a lack of information, specifically good information, about the investments being made and the jobs being created. When you say that they're overseen by this authority's budget office created in 2009 and they're required to submit annual reports required by the state law by that state allows law. for the, the creation year? Yes. And, and and the authority's budget office is supposed to oversee these local entities And what are they saying or doing about this problem of a lack of reporting or a lack of detail in the reporting? So they can't do a whole lot. They publish an annual report themselves, the ABO, and every year in that report it says the information in our database is frequently inaccurate, and they also say every year we would like the power to levy fines or to have other enforcement powers against these entities that are failing to comply with state law and, and other regulations. 
They haven't gotten those things. It's really more of a monitoring agency. It doesn't have any administrative responsibility. It doesn't, for example, have the right to dis approve or disapprove the creation of more LDCs or IDAs. Right. That can just be done at will by the local jurisdictions, which is why you have so many. And it doesn't have any kind of enforcement authority. Right. They can do investigations, and they can send out warning letters and letters of censure, but they, there's really no teeth there. And the ABO here, the Authority's Budget Office, is itself created by the state to basically complete a mission here that's barely being completed, that's sort of not being fulfilled. They're taking in all this information that is required to be reported, but they, they don't necessarily what have the capacity to make sure that all of it is reported and accurate and to, to take that information and do something with it. Can any of these things be shut down? Have any of them been shut down? Or is this just something that's been growing, 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 and eventually there's going to be a reckoning? There have been some that shut down. Um, there were some that shut down just because they weren't doing enough projects. They, they didn't have any money anymore, so they closed. But then there were also a few that... Um, repeatedly failed to submit their reports or uh, didn't comply with some other rules, and so the ABO did close those. There were also a couple cases um, in Rochester. There were some LDCs that were uh, involved in a, a fraud case, so those were shut down, but that was a, very, a really different situation. And you've mentioned um, the, uh, another entity that I would imagine would have some role here is the state controller. Yes. So the controller can audit IDAs, but the controller can't audit LDCs directly. He, they can audit them through the relationship LDCs have with local governments, but that may not necessarily be enough to uncover the information that they're looking for if there is some bad behavior or other things. So what needs to be done here, Carol, Riley? I mean, is there mechanisms that need to be put in place for more accountability? Give the budget authority more teeth. Um, we should say that it's an office. It's a department of, of the executive branch. The governor selects this person who runs the, the office. Um, make it more independent and give it the teeth to actually oversee, not just monitor the, the agency, the uh, various LDCs and, and IDAs. So this authority's budget office should be uh, beefed up a bit and yes. strengthened. Okay, and you need, so, to, you need to do that with legislation. Uh huh. Uh huh. So, and of course, we're touching on something here that is part of uh, Governor Cuomo's top priorities, which is economic development, especially in localities outside New York City and the New York City area, where we know many areas of the state have had a lot of struggle economically and job loss and population loss. Um, so so with all of what you've said, though, there is some data available on job creation. In our last couple minutes here, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so we looked at the data that is available with all of those caveats that we talked about. Um, and the job performance has not been great, the job creation. So for example, in 2015, there were 662 IDA projects in the state that reported fewer jobs in 2015 than they had before they got tax exemptions from the IDAs. And those projects got $78 million in tax benefits that year while they were losing jobs. That's just one example. And you can see these entities have been around for more than a decade, and they've been all over the state, and you're not seeing 
the sort of growth in most regions of the state that you would like to see. So this is something that we should evaluate and make sure that it's really a good investment. And so take us out here uh, in your portion of our two-part show today. Um, Carol hit on this already about what's to be done. You have sort of two main recommendations. One is beef up the authority's budget office. Um, what's the what's the other? The other recommendation is we think these things should be consolidated. For IDAs, I, we think we should go from 107 to 10 so that there's one IDA for each region of the state so that those match up with the regions of the Regional Economic Development Council so there can be greater coordination so that they can work towards the same strategic plan and keep the interest of the region in mind instead of competing against each other. Uh-huh. And lastly, on the ABO, um, you're also suggesting that the state controller does have that additional audit power, not just over the IDAs? Right, right. We think it should be, we think both the ABO and OSC should be strengthened in terms of their ability to, to oversee these things. Um, so for OSC, that does mean being able to audit LDCs directly. Very good. Well, everyone listening should, A, stay tuned for the second portion of our program today, but B, check out the new report from CBC from Riley Edwards. Thank you for joining us. Uh, Opaque and duplicative local economic development in New York State. Thanks, Riley. Thanks. Tim Sullivan, Citizens Budget Commission Research Director. New report out today about business improvement districts in New York City, our second data point. 74, the number of those bids. Tell us a little bit about what a bid is first, and then we'll talk about some of the issues around them. Thanks, Ben. A bid, uh, SBS, which is uh, Small Business Services, which is the New York City agency tasked with uh, oversight and monitoring of the bids, uh, defines it as a geographical area local stakeholders oversee and fund maintenance, improvement, and operation of the uh, commercial district. Bids have been around for some time. They exist worldwide in the United States. Uh, The first bid was in New Orleans in uh, 1974, and the first New York City bid was created in 1976, which was over in Brooklyn, the Fulton Mall. It was in response in the second half of the 20th century to uh, cities were experiencing declining tax bases, limited public resources. So business owners came up with their own solution, which was really a to self-fund and self-govern these districts. So this is localities, local areas where there is a good amount of retail and and business, and they're coming together and they're saying, we want to create this bid, this this structure, and it's a nonprofit entity. How is it structured? Who runs it? What do they what do they do? Well, bids are formed, uh, you know, following a proposal by a group of property owners in a geographically defined area to provide supplemental services to the commercial districts that they represent. And these services go beyond the services delivered by the municipality. So they're supplemental services. You know, primary among them are sanitation services, which can include uh, sweeping the sidewalks, trash, uh, collecting the trash, uh, power washing benches, snow removal, graffiti removal, things like that. They also provide uh, public safety services, uh, including the installation of the security cameras, uh, contract with uh, security agencies for personnel. Right, I was going to say and sometimes they, they hire their own private security uh, yes. entities. Yes, they do. Uh-huh. They yeah. subcontract. To, right. to, so they're nonprofits. Like, yeah. they're, 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 the legal entity is there. They're, they're separate freestanding nonprofits, and they have a board. 
and the, the main way that they fund themselves, which is why it's of significance to the city and why CBC is looking at it, is they assess fees on the property owners in their district, and that's, they, they are allowed to do that. The, the city department of finance collects the money but remits it to the business improvement district and its board, and they spend it on these basically amenities in the area that are meant to try to make the area more commercially attractive to people. Extra services to, to complement, supplement yes. the city services of sanitation and security yes. and such. And as you indicated, Tim, these sort of got going at a time where New York City was not yeah. in the shape it is today. The 70s, the dark ages. Right. Yeah. And they've continued to grow, though. And I've watched. And these need city council. They, they need city council approval, right? Yes. Yes. And so I've watched recently, uh, while I've been doing this work, I've watched these bid proposals go through the city council and more get approved and sort of scratched my head a little bit about why these are necessary in today's New York City, trying to, trying to figure some of that out. And I know um, you'll get into some of the nitty gritty there. My other structural question that I think might be interesting to listeners is the businesses that are getting this extra tax that goes to the city, do they have to agree to be part of the bid or can they be sort of compelled into the bid? Uh, no, they have to agree. Okay. I mean, it, it's done via a vote and it does go to the city council. Uh, you know, however, in some of our recommendations, we, we are recommending that every five years when the contracts are up for renewal, that all of the businesses and property owners in the district are surveyed, similar to what CBC did when we sent out a survey earlier this year for the residents of the city. I mean, uh, in, in that situation, the city residents are the customers, and in this situation, the property owners and the businesses within that district, they're the customers. So I th we think it's something that would be uh, incredibly beneficial for the overall performance of the bids. And give us some examples of these bids and how they differ in their spending, some of the some of the details here, some interesting examples perhaps. You have uh, some large bids such as the, uh, the Downtown Alliance, which is the largest one, the Times Square Alliance, the Grand Central Partnership, and then you can have bids that are much smaller. The services in general are similar. They're different in scale. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's really sanitation services, security services, marketing services. It could be beautification and landscaping services. Probably the one difference we see is that with some of the very small bids in terms of their expenditure size, general administrative costs tend to run high. And that's by definition, if there's one or two people on the board. So that's one of our recommendations too, that when you, when you create a bid that you really do analyze the size of it and how effective it can be. I think the issue is very large bids that have a very large district and therefore get a lot of revenue can actually provide a lot of supplemental services. But there are some bids that are really very small. It's like one street, a few blocks on it. They're not doing the same type of services. They're maybe having a street fair and some other activities that are good trying to raise the brand identity, but they're not big enough. They don't have critical mass enough to actually provide ongoing services. And so there are two questions. In light of the fact that we're not in the 70s and that the city does do a very good job on basic things like sanitation, is there really enough value added for even the big districts to justify charging all the property owners? 
And two, it, does it make sense to have the small bids, or should there be some sort of minimal size that you have to have to make this um, worth doing and worth creating more bids? And these are questions that you're, you're raising here. Yeah, we're just raising the questions and saying that, that the SBS should be looking at this periodically and making an assessment about whether each and every one of these 74 bids has a strategic plan, is accomplishing what it said it was going to accomplish, and the, whether the customers continue to feel that it was worth paying for this. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, with this 74 number, which is significantly larger than the number of city council districts, which is 51, and community, community boards, boards, which is 59. Yeah. We're up to 74 here. Uh, what are, the, are there downsides, Tim, to this expansion? I mean, we're, we can question the effectiveness, which Carol just raised and you raised. Probably one concern that certain critics have mentioned is that certain areas that can afford this extra assessment fee you know, we'll get these additional services, and that might uh, that will definitely revitalize the area and be a contributing factor to improving the area. However, there are surrounding jurisdictions that maybe cannot afford that, and that could they could uh, be negatively impacted with business shifting to these bid areas. Right, because it's uh, enhancing the competitiveness of a certain area or a certain number of businesses that might be within a bid. Okay, um, interesting, and those folks outside of bid, those entities outside of bid, those neighborhoods, those business districts, those individual businesses, they have to then kind of do more lobbying of their local representatives and of SBS and of the sanitation department to try to get enhanced services that a bid might provide? Well, I mean, they obviously could uh, form a coalition and uh, potentially uh, form a bid as well. But again, as Carol referenced, I think you need critical mass and that is something that may not always be available and difficult to achieve. So SBS and the law department, the city's law department, um, have have standardized these contracts between the city and bids. What's the effect of that? Uh, that's recent, and the standardized bid contract, I think it's intended to increase transparency in bid operations and ensure that all bids are subject to the same regulatory standards. So uh, CBC, you know, we, we totally support that. But I think we also recommend some additional me- measures be taken, including that specific evaluation criteria and performance metrics uh, should be utilized and submitted to SBS and put in their report. Uh, as I mentioned previously, we think every five years when these contracts are for renewal, that surveys should be done within that period to determine satisfaction uh, from the property owners and the, uh, the, the uh, commercial businesses their satisfaction with the bid strategic plan and performance. And we also think the city council should hold oversight hearings at least once each year to review SPS's oversight of bids whose contracts are free and all. Okay. So you have some recommendations. Um, we're looking at the proliferation here of business improvement districts. Uh, and your new report, Tim Sullivan, is out through CBC uh, Today oversight, organization, and transparency in these bids and uh, a number of recommendations here from CBC that we'll be looking to the city council to to take up. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Carol, good talking with you as always. See you soon. Bye.